Welcome to the Old Bridge Baptist Church podcast. We hope you find the following sermon to be edifying for your walk with the Lord. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can also visit our website at obb.church for more info. Now here's the sermon. Good to see everybody today, even with your mask. Glad you can make it out. I know there's a lot of sicknesses going around. And... Uh, but we're glad you're here. And God, in 2022, wants to do great things. And uh, nothing can stand in his way. A virus can't stand in his way. And government overreach can't stand in his way. And, and a false media can't stand in his way. And nothing can stand in God's way from doing his work. And we praise him for that. I want you to turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, as we um, wrap up our study in the book of Philippians, and I hope you have enjoyed this study as much as I have, because it has been a tremendous blessing and encouragement to be in God's Word and to be able to um, read and study and then to preach the Word of God. And so Philippians chapter 4 is um, verses 10 to the end of the chapter, I'm just getting there, and uh, that is our text today. Now, I want you to look at verse 10 as a way of introduction. It says this, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, okay? That's in the aorist tense, which is a completed action, and that's why it's translated as a past tense. So Paul, the simple um, message of this book, Paul is in house arrest, right? He has physical needs. The church at Philippi hears about these physical needs, and they sent Epaphrodites, and they give him uh, monetary and physical uh, things to meet his needs. And that's it. And then, and then Paul writes back to the church at Philippi and says, Thank you. That's basically what the book of uh, Philippians is. Now, I think that Epaphrodites was probably the one that brought this letter back. Now, look at first, excuse me, brought the epistle back to the church of Philippi. Now, look at verse 18, though. Look what it says. Indeed, Paul speaking of this gift, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphrodites the things sent from you, and then he calls it a sweet-smelling aroma. In the Old Testament, when, when the Jewish people, through the sacrificial system, when they would give a sacrifice to the Lord, and it was done with the right heart, and it was the right sacrifice, because there was a particular sacrifice for a particular occasion, God called it a sweet aroma. And Paul is calling this gift a sweet aroma, probably um, alluding to the fact that it was probably a sacrificial gift. Now, we know it was sacrificial on the part of Epaphrodites because he's the one that went and he traveled over a thousand miles to give this gift to Paul, a sacrifice. And Paul, and just like we do, if somebody gives us something, we verbally say thank you or we write a thank you note. And that's what Paul's doing here. And, uh, and again, I believe uh, if you go to chapter 2, just for a way of reference, I suppose, if you go to chapter 2 and look at verse 25, chapter 2, verse 25, it says, Yes, I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So Epaphrodites comes and gives the gift. And then Paul writes the thank you note and a bunch of other things and hands it to him and sends him back to them. In fact, he says in verse 20, 28, therefore I sent him the more eagerly. It's like as he's finishing this up or whoever penned this, it's like um, he's, he's on his way because, because of some other things. So again, the, really just the nuts and bolts of this letter is Paul was given this monetary gift and this gift, probably material gift, and he's writing back to the church of Philippines and said, thank you for the gift. Now, today, 
as we look at verses 10 to the end of the chapter, we'll just see that Paul is going to talk about money and talk about um, needs and lack of needs and things like that. And so that's what we want to look at. Now, the title of my message today is Christ Above Materials. Christ Above Materials. Interesting to note that money is mentioned 140 times in the King James Version of the Bible. If we include the words gold, silver, wealth, riches, inheritance, debt, poverty, and related topics, it turns out that the Bible pays a great deal of attention to financial matters more than nearly any subject. So God has some things to say about finances. Now, again, the title is Christ Above Materials. Number one, find your joy primarily in Christ because people try to find their joy in materials. But find your joy primarily in Christ is the first thing. Number two, honor God with your material possessions. That's the second point today. Number three, God rewards those who honor him. God will reward you for honoring him with your material possessions. And number four, focus on the gospel, not material possessions. Our focus should primarily be on the Great Commission, not material possessions. So Paul's going to cover those four things today. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. Lord, this book, this letter that was written from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, there really was an Apostle Paul. And not only the Bible says it, but there are many extra biblical works that speak of him. There really was a church in Philippi. In fact, there still is a place called Philippi. And, and, and extra biblical writings confirm that. And this epistle written to the church of Philippi was something that you um, supernaturally superintended over Paul and inspired divinely so that the words that he had written, although his own words were really the words that the Spirit of God moved him to write for our purposes. This book of Philippi, this book, the Bible in its totality, is God's love letter to mankind. And you give it to us because you want us to know about you. We can't know everything about you. There isn't a book big enough. The universe isn't big enough to contain that. But Lord, what you have given us is what we need to know about you. And as we look at your word today in this area of finances, speak to us, challenge us, encourage us. May Jesus Christ, the preeminent one, be lifted up. And we pray in his name. Amen. Number one, your primary joy should be found in Jesus Christ. Years ago, we saw a video in Ireland, and it was called That's Life. And an evangelical church went into the streets of Dublin, and they interviewed people, and they asked them if you could be given something in this world to make you happy, what would it be? And every person said, more money. That's what would make me happy. And yet, statistically, you will find that people with the greatest wealth are oftentimes the people that struggle with contentment and happiness. And one of the people we can go to in the Old Testament that will set the record straight is King Solomon, who was the richest and wisest man in the world and tried to find his happiness in materials. And he wrote that in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And he found himself to be miserable. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 20, Hell and destruction are never full, and the eyes of man are never satisfied. In other words, if you think more of something is going to make you happy, if I just had that relationship, if I just had $10,000 more a year, if I just had 
a holiday home, if I just had an extension on my home, if you think that that's going to fulfill your happiness, you're wrong if that's what we're relying on. There's nothing wrong with those things necessarily. God made Solomon rich. Nothing wrong with wealth. But if we try to find happiness in it, we're going to be greatly disappointed. Our joy needs to come in a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. Paul starts out in verse 10 and says this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly when I received this gift. But that's not what made the Apostle Paul rejoice. Because he tells us in verse 11, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You see, it's not the gift that he rejoiced in. That wasn't what he was rejoicing, although we'll see later, he needed that gift. What joy, would Paul, the Apostle Paul continually receive the Apostle Paul continually rejoiced in was Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. If you would say, what is the theme of the book of Philippi? I would say the theme probably is joy in the Lord. Find your joy in Christ. Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. That means find your joy in Jesus Christ, in God. Curious was a word, by the way, used in the Old Testament in the, in the Greek Subtuagent. Curios was the name that they translated for Yahweh. And Curios is used for Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Now, but you find your, 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 your joy in God. Look at verse, skip down and look at verse 3 as well. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus. I find my joy, Paul says, in Jesus Christ, not in external things or circumstances. He goes again in chapter 8. Yet I, excuse me, in verse 8, it's uh, not chapter 8, just not, if you have eight chapters in Philippians, you need to get rid of that Bible, okay? Verse 8, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul was wealthy. Paul was prominent. Paul was educated. Paul had great influence. And Paul said that I put that all aside for the excellency of knowledge of Jesus Christ. To build the knowledge is, is the Greek word is gnosko, and it means an experiential knowledge. And then he says in verse 8, he says this, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, again, he was rich, and count them as rubbish that I may gain. See what Paul said? Those things that I had, all the rich and all the affluence and all the nobility compared to Christ. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Compared, compared to Christ, they're rubbish. I want to build my relationship with Christ. And then chapter 4, just so we nail it just one more time. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord Always find your joy always in Jesus Christ. But what if I am in find your joy always in Jesus Christ? And it's almost as the Philippians like, man, you said this so many times, leave it. Or thinking that way. And Paul says, I'm going to just say it again. Again, I will say rejoice in the Lord. You see the message? I mean, Paul nails it. You got to get that background as we come into chapter 10. Find your primary joy in Christ. And Paul's going to reiterate that. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly 
now at last, your care for me is flourished again. Now, you see that phrase, now at last? It almost seems like Paul's saying, it's about time you gave me this gift. But I don't think that's what he's saying. Because then it says, after this, after he says that, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So he's not saying that. I think Paul is hinting to the fact that he's probably praying to God and saying, I have some needs. I have some needs, not necessarily wants, but I have some needs. Maybe, maybe clothes, maybe some more food, but I have some needs and I'm praying to God. So I think that Paul's situation was, uh, you know, one of difficulty physically. But he says this, he says, now at last you're careful as flourish again. That word, by the way, flourish, it's like a, think of a, a tree and it dies in winter, and then it blooms. That's how I did the word flourish. Now, going, going down to verse 4. Not that I speak in regard to need. That word need, and you don't have to go there, but you can look in Mark chapter 12, verse 44. I looked at word need, and I look at the root word, and both, that word is only used once, and it's only used, a root word is only used once in, in a different passage, and it's with the widow's might, and it's translated as poverty. Okay, so Paul, the, the, the nuts and bolts meaning of this word, the best I can see is if you need this, this is your needs, Paul was sure. He didn't, he wasn't there. So you get the idea then when he writes this, it's important, I think, for us to see that. Then he says this, he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Now, again, this is where the Greek, I think, helps us a bit. The Greek is like, you know, we read it in English like a black and white TV, but the Greek, maybe it's like a color TV. So the Greek can help us a bit with this. And I think it does here for he says, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Now, when he says, um, I have learned, that's obvious, right? It's not like he was born that way. Paul was born. He was from the, the city of Tarsus. In order to stay in the city of Tarsus, you had to be wealthy and prominent. So he was wealthy. And his dad was from a prominent background, and he was prominent. Okay? So when he's saying, I have learned, he's writing this years later. It means that he went through a whole lot to finally get to this point. But he also says, when he writes that, he pens that again in the heir's tense, which is, a, is an event. So that means this action's completed. He is saying, I have learned I have no need to learn this anymore. No matter what state I am, I will be content. It's an amazing statement. An amazing statement. But really what's amazing is you and I can learn the same thing because he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that word strengthen comes from two words in the Greek. It's in, like inside. And dunamis, which we get our, our English word, dynamite, power within. It is the power within me. And Paul would say that Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. The power of God within me gives me the ability to be content, even though I'm living in circumstances that aren't ideal. Powerful statement. By the Apostle Paul. I have learned to be content. Now, he says this, and we're going to skip down to um, point number two. So our primary, our prim our primary joy is in, in found in Christ. And, and by the way, just one further thing here, because um, I know I'm taking up a lot of time in this, but we'll, we'll move along. That word content is a word that the Stoics used. And the Stoics tried to try to live um, and be content without circumstances. That's, that's the idea of that word. So apart from my circumstances, I will be happy. That's what they tried to do. But really, we know it can only be fully through Christ that we can find that joy. You can have an outward pretending joy and a positive attitude. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a supernatural joy that comes from Jesus Christ a fruit of the Spirit of God. That's what we're talking about. Now, honor God with your material possessions. Because look at Paul says in verse 12. He says this, 
I know how to be abased. That means down, right? Poor. And I know how to abound. I know how to be rich. Everywhere in all things, I have learned. Okay, again, that's past tense. He's learned it. It's, it's an event. It's past. He's got it sorted. Both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, we already talked about Paul not having enough. And now we look at the Paul. Paul says, I have learned to be content in Christ, even though there's times when I've had more or extra. And we can say, well, that's easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Hell and destruction are never full, and the eyes of men are never satisfied. Again, Solomon's riches eventually took his heart away from God because he focused on the riches and he multiplied wives, etc. But I believe the root of that was his riches. And Paul is saying that we need to somehow honor God, even though if we have abundance. And we are challenged. We're going to be challenged with inflation. It's going to be a problem. Unless God steps in. His prices are going up. Right? So we're going to be challenged. We'll talk about that. But American as, as a nation in the past has been a very uh, wealthy nation compared to most nations in the world. So this abundance can really be a challenge and, and speak to us. Americans spend $1.2 a year on non-essential items. I'm guilty. The gross domestic product of Great Britain is a quarter of a trillion, just to give you a comparison. That's the sixth biggest economy in the world. The average American household carries $8,400 of credit card debt. 50% of purchases by millennials are impulsive. Verse 14, skip down. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Again, he's thanking the church at Philippi. By the way, that word, that word distress is pressure. My pressure, right? And then he says this. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me. Now look at this. Concerning giving and receiving, but you... Only, that's an indictment. That's an indictment on the other churches. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Okay? So I'm talking about, you know, some of these televangelists that have their own private jets. I don't want to be in their feet when they stay before God. I can tell you that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about meeting needs, right? But the churches were failing to meet his needs as a missionary. And he that's an indictment. Now, what do you want to do? I think it's interesting, though, here is that, and he commends, by the way, commends the church at, at Philippi. But he talks about this in verse 15. You go kind of like in the middle. No church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only that word shared that word is used in um a business term um it can be used in like um in, in a barter system or or a business you you i gave you this item and you gave me money right that's the idea it's a business term so there's almost like this business transaction that paul's talking about right now that's why i had brother mark read First Corinthians chapter nine, because I think that's what he's getting at. I want you to turn there for with me, please. First Corinthians chapter nine. And uh, whenever I study the Bible, I just am true to the text. And that's all I'm trying to do is be true to the word of God. And uh, and that's my approach, because honestly, when I talk about money, sometimes it's it's a bit awkward. And I said, all right, God, how am I going to talk about this? And God says, you just take the word of God and you break it down and you preach it. And that's what I'm doing now. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and, uh, and the Bible says here, as we skip down to verse 11, so we're talking about this thing shared. We're talking about this business transaction, and this is exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 11. He says this, 
if you have sown spiritual things, excuse me, if we have sown uh, spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? See the business transaction? Paul says we have taught and preached and prayed and ministered to you spiritual things. That's what God, Paul says, that's what God called me to do. And so isn't it in a business transaction way, isn't it reasonable that we should be compensated for this? That's exactly what he's saying here. Now, he also says in verses six to seven, if you skip down, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? That's what we call full-time ministry. Full-time ministry is God calls you out of secular ministry to be supported full-time by the gospel. Whoever goes to work at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and, and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock. And then he skips down to his famous passage in verse 13 and 14. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things Eat of the things of the temple. Now, do you know that's that's Old Testament? You understand that right there, right? You, th those, th in other words, the priests, they ministered full-time, the tribe of Levi, right? And they were compensated. They didn't work. They were compensated by the other tribes. That's the idea, right? Now, Brother Mark also read Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and following. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. How have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. The word tithe means a tenth, right? That's how they were paid back then. Isn't it interesting? Paul talks about the same thing. Because I think the tithe just carries right over to the New Testament. Tithe literally means a tenth. You are cursed with the cursed. Even this whole nation, or excuse me, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The storehouse was a part of the temple where they stored the food. That's, that was more of the, the food and cattle is more of the monetary system back then, right? In my house, that there may be food in my house. Do you know that the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that the church is the house of God? There's a trans, it transfers. So in the Old Testament, they bring the tithe into the storehouse. And the New Testament, because that's God's house. And the New Testament, the building is not God's house, but the assembling of his people are God's house. In the New Testament, the tithe is brought into God's house. And so you have to make a decision between you and God whether you're going to obey God and give him the tithe or you're going to rob from God and not give him the tithe. One time in Ireland, we had a guy in the offering plate. He was taking money out. And we're like, what are you doing? And he said, well, I put a 20 in and I was taking a 10 out. I said, fair enough. But next time you do it, let us know. Because it doesn't look real good, does it? We wouldn't think about doing that. We wouldn't think about doing that. But God says not tithing is the same. That's what God's word says. So you have to deal with that between you and God. Now, 13% of professing evangelicals tithe. 13%. That means 87% don't tithe. No wonder it takes missionaries four to five years to get on the field. Imagine, imagine what the church and the impact the church could have if the other 87% of the evangelicals did talk. Evangelicals, 50% of professing evangelicals give away less than 1% of their income. God help us. I wouldn't want to stand in anyone's shoes that stands before God and has robbed God for all these years. But you have a chance to repent and make it right. And you know, prayed about God, he's forgiven. He's forgiven. 
Now, number three, God rewards those who honor him. I want you to go back with me, please. Back to the church of Philippi, or excuse me, the, the, the book of Philippi, chapter four. And I want you to skip down to verse 19, please. Philippians chapter four, verse 19. God rewards those who honor him. Verse 19, it says this. And my God shall supply all your need. Not your wants necessarily, although God is very gracious. He's very gracious. Matthew 7, 7, 11. I have found through my life that God is not only given my needs, but many of my wants as well, because he's just a gracious, kind God. Now, he says this. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will provide. God will provide. Now, the word there, when it says, and my God shall supply, that word is, I want you to picture before the rules of when you went to the airport. Remember before, before they used to have where you didn't have to weigh your suitcases? And when we went to Ireland, I mean, we had, you know, we had the four kids and you come back here and my mother-in-law would give us, you know, 10 packs of cookies and, and M&Ms and, you know, and so we would pack that bad boy down. I mean, you're stepping on that thing. You're, you know, you're zip, you're doing all that. Or in Ireland, you had one bin, one rubbish bin. It was, you know, decent size. And, you know, we, again, there's six of us and every, you know, every couple of days I'm jumping on that bin. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm um, you know, get everything I can to get everything we can in it. That's what that word means. God just likes to jam things in. He's going to supply. He's generous. He's gracious. He's not saying he's going to make us rich, but he's going to satisfy us. That's the idea. This promises of, of and even the passage that Brother Mark read in, in Malachi, that God's going to pour out the winds of heaven. That was a promise to the nation of Israel according to the Mosaic Covenant. And you can go back to Deuteronomy 11. I will bless you as a nation if you're obedient, or I will curse you if you're not obedient. It has nothing to do with an individual and certainly not the church. So if you want to name it and claim that, good luck. You can do it. But it's not, it's not biblical. And the blessings that we're talking about here, when I say that God's going to honor those or reward those that honor him, those blessings, that word, right? That word there, supply, and when it talks about all your need, that word there, um, need, when it talks about my God will supply all your need, we talked about supply, but all your need, that word need, that is in the future tense. The supply and need point to the future. So the word, excuse me, I'm getting this mixed up. The word need, God is going to, is going to give us our need, right? So he's going to provide for us. That's present. But the word supply goes to the future, okay? And that means that God's blessings for honoring him are mostly, mostly in the future, okay? In other words, God's going to give us rewards for our obedience of honoring him with our items in the future. Now, let me show you something here. And when we look at... Um, the word, let me see, I'm just, I'm studying through my notes here. Go, go to verse 16. Let me show you this. This is pretty interesting too. We read verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent aid and, and, and again, for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, verse 17. Paul is saying this, right? He's saying, I am not writing this thank you and pray, and, you know, and, and being so grateful and thank you. So I'm hoping that you send somebody else with another gift. That's not why I'm writing this. That's not my motive. Okay? Not that I seek a gift, but I seek fruit that abounds to your account. That's a banking term. That I seek fruit that abounds, that word to abound is abundance, to your account. That word account is more of a banking term. I hope it goes into your account. What account? Now, that same word, that same word account is used to further support what I was talking about. Go to, go to, to uh, Romans chapter 14. Let me show you something. Romans 14. 
And the point here is God rewards those who honor him, but I believe that reward is mostly futuristic. God promises if you honor me with your money on this earth, I will provide for your needs. That's a promise, and I believe that. Um, David said, I was young, and now I'm old, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. I believe that's a promise, right? Now, on the other hand, God also talks about a future account, a future account. In Romans chapter 14, verse 12, I believe God is saying, I am going to reward you if you honor me with your finances. Because Romans 14, 12 says this, so then each of us shall give account. You see that word account? That's the same word account that we see in Philippians chapter four. So he's saying this, then each of us shall give account of himself to God. We will stand before God and give an account of our lives, okay? Now, it's a bema seat. It's, a, it's an award ceremony. It's not a judgment. It's an award ceremony. We're going to stand. It's actually, bema means to step up to a platform. We're going to stand and we're going to be given our trophy. Kind of, like, like that's the idea of rewards for eternity in heaven. And God is saying, if you honor me with your finances, when you stand before me and give account, the same word in Philippians, I'm going to take that in consideration. It's the same thing. We don't have to turn there. But if you go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 21 and following, and it talks about storing not treasures up on the earth. Okay. And by the way, again, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. The idea there, when it says storing treasures on the earth where, where it may get rusted, means the person was, um, was stockpiling because gold and silver uh, don't rust typically. Um, but the idea then in Matthew 6 is that when we, and he, he challenges us and says, don't look to store treasures up on the earth, but store treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. That comes through being faithful and obedient and serving him and honoring him with our finances. And when you honor God with his finances, he will provide for us here. He may not make us rich, but he'll provide for us what we need. But he'll make us rich in heaven. He will make us wealthy in heaven. And so when he says, when Paul says, what I'm excited about, you church at Philippi, is not the fact that you gave him this money or not the fact that I'm looking for more, more money. What I'm excited about is that you are accruing interest and stockpiling wealth to your account in heaven. That's the idea. And the churches today and many of these televangelist churches today on these, on these channels, um, many of them simply have it wrong. They simply have it wrong. And those that preach that and teach that will stand before God and give an account. And I say, and the Bible says, and woe to that person that does that. Because they're influencing people the wrong way. Philippians chapter 4 as we wrap up now. God rewards those who honor him. We see that, again, that, that gift was a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable to God, pleasing to God. And that's what we want to do. Now, and in verse 20, it says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Glorify God with our finances. Lift up God's name with our finances. Verse 21. Greet every, and the first... Last point is focus on the gospel and not on material possessions. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you. Now look at this. But especially those who are Caesar's household. What was Paul's heart's desire? The Great Commission. His desire was to know Christ and to have a close relationship with Christ, and I believe a fruit of that was the desire to get the gospel out, the Great Commission. Paul said, listen, he, he wrote, and, and you don't have to turn over, in chapter 1, verses uh, 11 through 12, or excuse me, 12 through 13, he wrote to the church at Philippi and said, first of all, 
I'm good. I'm in prison, but I'm good. And I want you to know that God has a purpose because the things that have happened to me have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. And I'm chained to these Roman soldiers all day. And guess what I'm talking to them about? Right. And they go back into their their home with the other uh, Roman soldiers and co-workers. And what are they saying? Hey, this guy, Paul, what's, what's his story? And then either attached to where Paul was being held or in close proximity, we have Caesar's household. Caesar was Nero. And Nero had a household of people, his wives and his children and, and, and servants, etc. And some of them got saved through the gospel. And that's why Paul says, all the saints creature, but especially those who are Caesar's household. Isn't that amazing? Is it an amazing? You see, Paul would eventually stand trial before Caesar. Acts 27, verse 24, Nero. He would get out. We know that based on the book of Titus and first and second Timothy, because the places he was, was traveled, traveled after this. We know eventually he would be martyred by Nero. He would be executed by Nero. Multitude of of, uh, writers testified. So he would be executed by Nero. But the gospel get in this house. I believe probably it's not a stretch to say that that Nero was given the gospel. And probably several times. Now, interesting, bringing in some of secular history as we wrap up this book. Jerome, an early church father, says that Paul had converted many in Caesar's family. And then he says this, for being by the emperor cast into prison, so Paul was cast into prison by Nero, he became more known to his family. So by being in prison, Paul became known more known than he would have been otherwise to Nero's family. And Paul turned the house of Christ's persecutor into a church. Isn't that amazing? The persecutor of the church of Christ. And Nero was a persecutor. Probably the most vicious. His family was turned into a church. Isn't God glorious? Josephus, the, the Jewish historian, writes of Pompeii, which is, if I'm pronouncing that right, is was Nero's wife, and Josephus met her and states she was a worshiper of the true God. Now, whether that means she was converted or not, I don't know, because I'm not even sure Josephus was converted, but she worshiped at least the true God. Amazing stuff. The Apostle Paul was beheaded between 62 and 64 AD. His focus was not on materialism, although he was raised in that. His focus was on the gospel of Jesus Christ. His focus was on building his relationship with Christ, and he was a debtor to all people, even a great persecutor, an evil man like Nero, who would execute him. Nero, in 64 AD, in July of 64 AD, history tells us that he burnt the city of Rome because he wanted to rebuild it. And about 70% of that city was burnt. And to take pressure off of himself, he blamed it on the Christians. And as a result, there is a great persecution of the Christians that is so hideous, I wouldn't even want to mention it to you. Peter, history tells us that Peter's wife was executed in front of his very eyes. And then Peter, consoling his wife, was ready to be executed, and he pled with his executors, please, please, don't crucify me right side up. I am unworthy. Crucify me upside down. And many writers testify that Peter 
was crucified upside down. And Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, about the fiery trials when he was in Rome. He wrote that book from Rome. And he knew about the fiery trials. Maybe a reference to the fire that Nero. But we end in verse 23 with this. And we transition into the Lord's Supper. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Isn't God such an indescribable, wonderful God that the very person that was executing his people, he saved in the Apostle Paul. And isn't God such a wonderful and gracious and loving and forgiving God that the very Caesar that opposed and was the enemy of the church, he put his man there, his best man, so to speak, to bring the gospel. He's saying, even though you're persecuting my church, I love you. And here's my grace. And that very God offers salvation to any person, no matter how bad or awful that person is. That's the God you and I serve. And that brings us to the Lord's Supper. That brings us to the Lord's Supper. I want you to turn, first of all, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. Matthew chapter 7, verse 2. This, to me, helps us. You know, when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we partake of the Lord's Supper to be in a close, intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ, with God. And we have to make sure that there isn't sin in our heart. And so God gives us opportunity, and we'll do that a little later. We'll give you an opportunity to, number one, confess sin, and number two, to reflect upon what Jesus Christ did for us. So why bring us to Matthew 7? Because it says this in verse 3. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? It's very easy for us to look at our nation, our leaders, and other people and be critical. But remember the grace of God. But by the grace of God, where would you and I be? And so instead of looking at the speck in somebody else's eyes, take the four by two out of your own eye is the idea. If that means we need to confess sin about that, we do it. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, very strong word. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, then you will see clear to move the speck from your brother's eyes. I have found that when I am close to Jesus Christ in my prayer closet and reading the Bible and, 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 my, and I see my sins and I see his forgiveness, I have found my heart to be very tender towards all people, no matter where they're at. And I think that's the idea. As we get before God, let's have a tenderness as a reflect. Now, let's, close, let's turn to Luke 22, Luke 22, verses 19 to 20. What we're going to do is we're going to have a time of prayer to ourselves. Again, confess any sin and to um, reflect upon what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. His body and with his blood. Now, if anyone doesn't have a packet and you want a packet, um, raise your hand. If anybody has not received a, a communion packet, Dale's back there with some extra. Okay, it looks like everybody has it. Thank you, Dale. Okay, so let's have, we're going to do is we're going to have time to ourselves. We're going to reflect upon what Jesus Christ did with his body. And then we're going to eat the wafer. And then we're going to have a little time to talk, think about his blood. I'm going to talk about his blood. And then we're going to drink the, the, the juice together. This is, this is for those, no, this is not literally the body and blood of Christ. This represents the body and blood of Christ. You know, in Levitical law, you're not allowed to drink blood. So there's no way Jesus is going to say, this is my blood drinkers. You weren't allowed to do that. Okay. 
So, but this does represent, and, and that's the idea. So let's 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 have a word of prayer uh, to ourselves, and then we will. Then I'll read the scripture to us. Worse. We look at the Bible, it says this in verse 19. He took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it to them and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then the Bible says in verse 20, again, at the Last Supper, likewise, he took, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is said for you. And another passage, he says, drink. Our Lord and our God. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth. You didn't send him because there was something good in us. The Bible says that even though we were sinners, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You died for people that were your enemies, which shows your great love. The same flesh that we have, Christ walked in, the same body the same human body, and his body was battered and beaten for us. The same blood that runs in our veins is the blood that ran in his veins, and his blood was shed for us. And we thank you that, we believe that, and we look forward to, and we do this, Lord, as a church, the body of Christ, looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ to this earth. So, Father, we praise your name and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old Bridge Baptist Church. Please consider subscribing to our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening on. We appreciate your support and we hope you have a God-blessed day.